Moncrief on News Talk. Now, uh, Joanna Fortune joins us. She does every uh, time. And I'm sorry, I do have a dodgy lead of that microphone, which I'll try and fix for you in a moment. Joanna, how are you today? Good, Tom. How are you? I'm very well. Slightly bereft of a technical issue, which is just annoying me slightly. But apart from that, I am grand. Uh, Joanna is our resident parenting expert. If you have questions, email them to afternoonnewstalk.ie or text to 53106. Joanna, we have a load of questions for you, so I'm going to get stuck in straight away, if that's okay. Um, A listener says, my five-year-old son is using a lot of undesirable language while playing with his three-year-old brother. And when he doesn't get his way, for example, when playing with his brother, he will often say, you stinky poo-poo head and punchy punchy repeatedly. He says it in a nasty teasing voice and can be passive aggressive about it too at times with a little gesture of poking, but not quite or body imposing on the little brother's space. He'll say things like stinky mama or slappy mama when he is asked to do something he is not happy about or he doesn't get his way. And again, will gesture to try and squeeze my arm in an aggressive way or pretend to hit it off uh, me by accident. I will always warn him that I want him to stop speaking like that. And if he continues, there will be a consequence and I will specify what. He usually does continue and can sometimes even try to change the words to a rhyming one. And I will implement a consequence like this evening. It happened at bedtime, so I took a page off his story. He gets upset, but then it will happen again. Any advice? Sort of struck by he's, he's so young, Joanna. You wonder where it's coming really from. Really young, but you know what? It's it's actually not unusual at this age because this is an age time when they're also fascinated with toilet humor, fart jokes, making noises, pointing out bodily function things as things of great ridicule, great source of joy and pleasure. And it's really around this age, for even younger, like four or five years old, that their sense of humor is developing. Not that they don't have one under four, but it's really refining and developing at this age. And they also know that this type of language gets a response. Like teasing in general is designed to elicit a response, to irritate, to provoke, to annoy. But it can also be a playful thing. It's like a mocking in a playful, fun way. It's not intended to hurt, but it is intended to get a response. And you know what? It does get a response, this type of language. Initially, especially with the younger children, it can elicit laughter at the beginning. And then comes like this this parent is outlining, you know, stinky mama is then saying, hey, that's not not okay. Don't do that. If you keep doing it, there's going to be a consequence. And I'm not saying you did laugh at the beginning, but often when small children say something like this, we do laugh like an involuntary response. And then we say, oh my goodness, we better put a boundary on that. But for children, that can be confusing because they're like, well, it was funny. Maybe if I keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, it'll get funny again. Let's just see. And of course, he's pushing boundaries and testing limits at this age. So he's doing everything he should do. I'm not saying that means don't mind about it. It doesn't matter. Lots of parents listening and go, you know, if that's all he's saying, that's okay. But that's all relative. If you're not comfortable with the language, then absolutely you need to challenge that, put a boundary on it and redirect it. But distraction and redirection are definitely your best tool here. Um, I'm struck by, you know, he says that, you know, you're saying in that nasty teasing voice, it can be passive aggressive. So again, you're identifying that he's using language to convey an emotional experience. He's annoyed, he's irritated. And language can be a really useful way for any of us to play with our aggressive impulses. And we all have them. They look and sound differently in all of us, but we all have them, be we children or adults. We all have these aggressive impulses and we find these ways of getting it across. So maybe ask him to just reflect with you on how would he feel 
if he was called names like this? And then how must someone else feel when he calls them names like this? How must your brother feel? How would your friend feel? He might care more about what his friend would feel than his brother at this age. But you could also tell him how you feel when he name calls and it hurts your feelings and you wish he wouldn't. And you could do the reflective piece like that. But whatever he says in the moment, try to keep a really poker face, like you're not giving an emotional response and just say, I don't like that language. I don't like those words. Those words hurt my ears. I find it very hard to understand you when you use those words. Let's try use different words. And if you kind of name it in that way, that it's rude, it's unacceptable, it doesn't affect me in the way you think it's going to. Over the course of time, I'm not talking long time, but, you know, it's not going to drop straight away, but it will gradually lose its appeal for him. The one thing I do want to flag, though, Thomas, towards the end of this letter, that one of the consequences this parent put in place was that he lost a page of his story. I would always dissuade parents from using bedtime story or parent-child playtime as a means of incentivizing behavior one way or another. If you're good, we can play. Or if you're if you misbehave, you're not getting your story. I think those are two moments of the day that should always be in the day, no matter what else is going on. Because sometimes, particularly in the challenging, trying days when behavior isn't ideal, those are the days and times our children really need this with us. Because what can look like attention-seeking behavior is more often connection-seeking. And the parent-child playtime that we talk about, the bedtime story, those are perfect connection opportunities in our day with our children. I would be very slow to put that as a consequence. There are lots of things that you can do as consequences for behavior, but I would keep that in, in no small part because there is a little bunny or bear having whatever, you know, behavioral issue you're experiencing out there. And you can get a book that deals with a a little boy using language that isn't ideal. There's definitely, I can't think off the top of my head, but there's definitely a book that deals with everything out there. So the story time could be a way of getting your parental agenda across, but more Moreover, it is that opportunity for downtime, downward regulating, connecting with him in a very calm, soothing way. Children's books tend to have a lot of rhyming. It's rhythmic. It, you know, it has all of those pieces that trigger the brain for emotional regulation. Don't take that away. You need that. He needs that. And keep that in there. I think, though, when something is going on with this kind of language, that's the all the overt behavior and what to do with it. I'm always curious about what's underpinning it. If he's getting aggressive cross and he's taking it out in his brother, what's the story of what happened? Go back to before he was using the language. Were they playing nicely? Was it rough and tumble play that then crossed a line? Were they playing with toys together and the three-year-old took a toy he didn't want the three-year-old to have? What was the story that led up to the language. Because in that story is the emotional experience. And you might be able to say, oh, so this happened, then that, and you were feeling cross, and you were feeling annoyed, and you got frustrated, or whatever it is, and then you yelled at your brother and you used that language. So you're reflecting back to him in a way that makes sense. Oh, I say those words when actually I'm frustrated, and then give him other ways of showing frustration. You're helping him develop emotional fluency outside of those words. But I have to warn you at this age, and you know, for a couple of years to go yet, he will find that kind of toilet language, toilet humor really funny. They all do. 
decades as well, John. We have to point out that out as well. Um, right then, on to a little bit of an older child, a 19-year-old. Um, this listener says, My son finished his Leaving Cert in November as he opted to sit the exams to try for a better result. He still didn't get the points he wanted, though. And so, after many arguments and a lot of pushing from us as parents, he accepted another course on his CAO. But the trade-off was that he would take some time out of education after the year he's had. We thought that was fine and that he could maybe get some work until he went to college. But he's gone completely downhill since. He kept putting off applying for any part-time work, which I know is a tough ask in the climate, but he didn't even try. My husband would give him work to do around the house, but he rarely scratched anything off the list. He constantly accused me of breathing down his neck, and he kept asking for space to even breathe. So I did. But in recent weeks, he's not getting out of bed now until four or five in the afternoon and staying up till all hours online. He is meeting friends now and again, but he even seems, lost, seems to have lost interest in that. He's lost any motivation for life, it seems. He's just existing. How can I help him find focus? God, it's the perfect storm, isn't it? COVID and oh, leaving certain really jobs is. and expectation. You'd have to feel for him. Oh, I really feel for him. And I think, and I feel for the parents in this too, because what you've got is, is, expectations that are, are contradicting each other because you have to take a step back as the parents in this equation and think, how do we understand the concept of taking a break? And how does he understand taking a break? Because they are clearly different understandings of it. Think about it from his perspective here for a while. I mean, he did, he had that awful sixth year that all of his peers did. You know, they were in school, they were out of school. We didn't know when they were coming back. Will there be a leaving cert? Won't there? What will it look like? It was it was awful for them all. And then he does the predicted grades and he's not happy and he persists and he sits the exams in November, the longest sixth year ever, and he still doesn't get the points that he wants. So let's take a kind of acceptance and empathy. You know, when in doubt, go to A&E, Tom. It's like, he must feel mm. exhausted. You know, all of that effort, he must have felt physically, emotionally, emotionally, cognitively exhausted and depleted and ultimately disappointed. His whole leaving cert year was disappointing, but he tried and tried and it didn't work out as he thought it would. And then as a family, think about, how, well, how do we process disappointments in our family? Do we think about them together? Do we talk about them? How do we acknowledge them? Or are we, well, look, it is what it is. Brush it under the carpet. Let's get on with it now. Let's focus positively because maybe you're pushing him prematurely to feel something that he hasn't arrived at yet. I'm, I'm really struck in this letter as well that he didn't get the points for what he wanted. But after many arguments and a lot of pushing from us parents, he accepted another course. And it just felt for me like he gave in, like he just thought, oh, fine, I'll do that. But where is his desire in this? Is it what he wanted? L probably not. Is he doing it because he decided, well, look, I didn't get what I wanted. So this is a good second best and I'm happy enough with it. And it makes sense for what I want to do. Or did he do it to appease his parents? Because then you don't have buy in. He isn't signed up going, I can't wait to do that course. In fact, he responded with, fine, I'll accept it. But on the circum on the condition that I don't have to do anything this year. And then you're trying to structure his year off in terms of what you think would be healthy and productive and good for him. But I just am reading this going, where is he in this? And I just think, of course, he's unmotivated. So many of his peer group are, you know, they're they're largely um, an overlooked and forgotten about group in all of this pandemic stuff. I mean, his peers who did accept to college place have been going to college sitting in their bedrooms at home that is not a college experience yeah. 
And that age group is manifesting with lots of anxiety, depression, mental health challenges. He's not alone in the struggle. But what we have to do is approach this with acceptance, accepting how hard this has been and empathizing with that as his truth. The fact that, you know, at his age, being able to sit up all night and sleep all day, again, that's not unusual behavior for his age group. Just keep an eye on it that it's because that's how he is unwinding. I'm going to, you know, infer something here as well, that that's also affording him in your family quiet time. You're all in bed when he's up living, engaging and doing because yeah. he said to you, I need space. I can't breathe. Give me space to breathe. He has structured his day in a way where he sleeps when you're all up busy doing and he does when you're all busy sleeping. So I think I would come at this in a way of talking to him, but more than talking to him, listening to him and reflecting back what he is saying and the feeling in what he is saying and wondering what you can do to help or what he needs himself. How can you respond to that? Name that the summer is coming, of course, but without expectation or demand, but that college is going to start in September. And what will he need about that? How is he feeling about it? How can you support him in getting ready for that? I think you've got to take his lead here, though. And I would come at this with a lot of empathy that he's had a really tough year and a half, actually. It's been a year and a half for him. His sixth year was sabotaged. And, you know, this year off, maybe it isn't what he thought it would be either. But I think his need for the year off wasn't so that he could have new experiences in the work world. It was his way of saying, I'm exhausted. I'm disappointed. I'm depleted. I'm deflated. This isn't working for me. Right, he has his hands full and so do they. Um, we're going to have a quick break. If you have uh, questions for Joanna, email afternoonnewstalk.ie. We'll be talking about a five-year-old who is being picked on after this. You're very welcome back to my creep show. Tom Dunn sitting in for Sean today on News Talk. Joanna Fortune, parenting expert, is still with us answering your questions. A few questions coming in, a few texts on uh, the child using a little bit of language. I've always told my four-year-old that farts and burps are signs that your body is doing a great job at helping you grow and that nothing your body ever does is disgusting. I notice now he doesn't really laugh at fart or, or toilet jokes. That's kind of mature for a four-year-old, isn't it? Um, would he be picking up the language from a TV show, perhaps, that he saw or something, or maybe kids in school? Kids soak up everything that they hear. This is all true, too. And loads of sympathy for our 19-year-old, uh, the teenager lad. There's a lot, that's a lot of teenagers out there at the minute. We have to allow them to grieve the lost year of what should have been one of the best years of their life and to be carefree with no responsibilities. There's time enough to have jobs and deal with life issues. Leave me, it's my own in Tipperary. Uh, Joanna, your next question, I mentioned it's a five-year-old being picked on. This listener says, my son loves the garden and playing outside. He always has. As a result, he has warts on both of his hands. We've tried the freezing stuff from the pharmacy and the doctor says they will go away, but it may take a while to get rid of them. God love him. He has so many of them. This has proven to be a real problem for him in school, as many kids have been picking on him over it. Some say he is COVID. Others are calling him dirty. It is very cruel. I've told the teacher and she's keeping an eye on things. It's really affecting his confidence and he really hates school now. How can I help him get through this? It is heartbreaking him seeing him go through this. God, kids can be cruel, Jana. What can they, they do? They really can. They really can. And a lot of it, Tom, comes from just they don't understand. And bear in mind that this age group, these five-year-olds, have also had a year where we've been talking to them about dirt on their hands, germ on their hands, washing their hands, keeping hands clean 
clean, don't touch anything, that they also have a heightened awareness about cleanliness and hands in particular. So and again, I'm not saying it's okay that they're doing this, but sometimes we we have to kind of put a bit of context on children just not understanding and maybe explaining to your son as well that mostly, not all the time, there'll always be the kid who's the exception to the rule, but mostly kids are mean because they don't understand what something is and it's new to them. It doesn't make sense. And behind this in particular, especially because it jumps out at me that they're saying, oh, you have COVID, uh, your hands are dirty, that actually there may be fear driving that meanness. It's still mean. It still has the impact, but the intention is coming from a fear base or a place of not understanding and it's confusing them. They're all only little kids. Hold that in mind as well. I think you were right to talk to the school. I think the teacher, as opposed to just keeping an eye on what's happening, could proactively talk about kind language, kind words, and about how we can touch and our hands, like germs are invisible, we don't see them, things like that, that they don't think those bumps on your hand are germs or that's what a virus looks like. Because actually, you know, that's one of the things that's been really tricky for little kids is that something like COVID is so intangible, they can't see it, but they know it's there. So I think a little bit of that, but you can also build confidence in your son by helping him and again, have him role play it with you, you know, to say to kids when they do this, hey, you know, those words are mean and they're hurting my feelings. Please don't use those words. If you keep using them, I'm going to have to talk to the teacher or a grown up about that because it hurts my feelings and giving him the language to be able to challenge other kids who may not know consciously that they're having that effect on him. Now, again, some of them might, but most of them won't know that. I'm also wondering, Tom, you know, given that he has, you know, many warts on his hands and as a parent, you've done a great job here at explaining, look, we know it's because he plays outdoors. We've been to the pharmacy. We've talked to the doctor, all of that. But does he know as a five year old, does he know what it is and how to explain warts himself to other kids who might say, hey, what are those things on your hand? Does he know and have a language that he can say, you know, oh, that's called a wart. A wart is just hard skin that has a bumpy surface on top. You know, I got mine from playing digging in my garden a lot. And one day they're all just going to go away because I have special treatment or special ointment or whatever it is for them. They're no big deal. And you equip him and empower him to have the language to respond to the question in the moment that demystifies it and then circumvents the other child going, I know you don't know what it is. Well, let me tell you what it is. And they come up with, you know, their own version of it's COVID, it's dirt, it's whatever. Now, warts in general, and I know you're responding to this and really the question here is about confidence and I do think role playing with him at home giving him a language helping him understand and empowering him to stand up to to the meanness in the class is really important and as you've spoken to the teacher I think all of that will go a long way but given you've said you know he has so many on his hands they can be really hard to get rid of depending on how thick the skin in question is on them so you've got the pharmacy route which you've tried but if that's not working it might be worth going back to your GP and saying so we've tried all the -the over-the-counter stuff and it hasn't proved effective you know because there are cryo treatments laser a special scraping procedure there's there are multiple ways that these can be treated so if they're not going and if they're spreading or if they're staying that there's loads of them because the hand I'm just conscious for him when you've got one on your hand it's so easy brush it off something or scrape it that it could cause him pain so you could talk to your GP about another route but I would come at this with role playing it out for your little boy 
Okay. Have to ask you this one. I find it fascinating. Um, listener says, my son is nearly four. He is very bright, has been able to count, do sums, multiplication, etc. from a young age. He has also taught himself the Russian alphabet from watching YouTube a few times. Colour me impressed. We've uh, <laughs> nurtured his love for numbers and letters, giving him multiple number letter toys, even the Russian alphabet. But he's getting very obsessed with numbers and letter toys now, getting hysterical if someone in play school tries to play with him. He verbalises wanting to share, but he doesn't seem to be able to do it. He's no issue with food or eye, counter, eye contact or sleep or a change in routine. What could it be? Well, do you know, I find this, re and again, not to take, because this is clearly a very bright little boy, and that's wonderful. But, you know, as the parents... The Russian alphabet. I know, Cyrillic. I mean, you know, but I, I also think, though, Tom, that we have to be very aware at this age that while it's great that he's bright, and when he gets to school and he'll learn and enjoy learning and all of that will be nurtured, what really matters at this age is emotional and social development. And when we have a child who's cognitively, intellectually very advanced emotionally he's very much for so you can get this gap between how he thinks and how he feels and a big part of play school and preschool and all of those programs is negotiating boundaries with other kids who are going to come at you and say but I want it so hand it over and you don't want to and they have to learn how to negotiate those boundaries together I think you know as well with something like this and particularly because of the Russian alphabet piece which is very impressive don't forget that he will have gotten a lot of behavioral reinforcement at home and from other grown-ups who go oh my goodness Look at what you can do. Show granny what you can do. Show so-and-so what you can do. So his his letters, his number strength has been reinforced as something that is fabulous and wonderful and elicits a lot of praise and joy in grown-ups. And he, he will see that as a means of eliciting praise in his life. So then when he's in play school, he's like, well, this is what I do. These are my thing. Let me show you what I can do with these. But the other kids want to stack the blocks, knock them over, whatever they want to do mm. with them. And that's very challenging and stressful. I would be saying at this age and this stage for me, as and I say this as a parent and a professional hat on, really spotlight the social emotional stuff. The intellectual cognitive stuff will take care of itself. He's clearly got a good grounding. Right now, you want to talk about play, turn-taking, reciprocity, solution-focused thinking, critical thinking, which is basically the stage of developmental play he's at, which is that small world narrative projective play, getting the little characters and playing out stories and scenarios with him, for him, playing out the beginning of a story, stopping in the middle, have him pick up and finish the story, let him do a story. You play out what you'd like him to do, beginning, middle, end, but basically using story play and also making that person-to-person -person relational play more appealing for him. You know, such as playing with another child, doing blocks in a different way together, um, working on a jigsaw together, working on a drawing together, whatever it could, chasing, running, jumping, anything that involves playing with others that is person to person and intersubjective and not focused on let me show you how smart I am let me show you how bright I am because he has to learn that he can elicit praise and more than praise that he can elicit joy that he can enjoy others and be enjoyed by others in another playful way than this so I would talk to the play school and just check you know what are they observing how are they experiencing him and ask them what's working and how can you nurture that social emotional growth for him at home as well? 
Joanna, great stuff as always. We're beaten by the clock, but uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. And as always, if listeners have more questions, email them into us, afternoonnewstalk.ie, and you can listen back to the Parenting Podcast on the News Talk app. Uh, Joanne, thanks very much. Um, Thank you, Tom. Where are we going to know? After the break, thanks, Joanne. After the break, losing your sense of time in a very dramatic way. Moncrief on News Talk.